0: Amen. Let me ask you to pray too for uh, the Cossacks. The Cossacks are moving uh, today, as a matter of fact, from Wisconsin down to uh, uh, to Missouri. And um, but pray for them. And they uh, have uh, about a six-hour drive, and I don't know when they left, but they were uh, talked to uh, Wendy. Three days ago, or four days ago, and she said she still had a lot of packing to do. If you've ever moved, you know you've got all these things that you that you don't need, but you can't live without. You know all those things, and uh, so you have to have them. And uh, so just pray for them, and pray that God would give them, would bless them. They're both in uh, not the best of health, but I pray that God would help things to go smoothly. Amen. All right, we're going to read in, Matthew, in John chapter chapter nine. Now we're coming back to the miracles of uh, in John and the miracles of our Lord Jesus. We're going to come back have come back to these, and um, I want to read uh, not all of the chapter, even though all of the chapter nine is really around this one thing. It's around uh, the healed, the uh, the blind man receiving his sight. And, but I want to read in, uh, begin in verse one and read that. Begin in verse one. Read down to verse eleven and then go down to a couple of other verses here. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, "Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he is born? He was born blind." Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with, with the clay... And said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they that, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, "I am he." And therefore said they unto him, "How were thine eyes opened?" And he answered and said, "A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes, and said unto me, Go to wash in the pool of Siloam and, I, and wa- go to the pool, the pool of Siloam and wash." And I went and washed, and I received my sight. Then they said unto him, Where is he? And he said, I know not. Now look in verse thirty-five. Thirty-five, and Jesus heard that they had cast him out. This is the man that had been cast out, this is the man that had received his sight. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Amen. I want to speak to you. This is the word of God, and I want to speak to you tonight on the thought of deliverance from darkness. Now, if you're making an outline of this chapter, you'll see on your uh, your notes there, as we look at these, it could be broken down in three different groups. And, of course, I, as I study this, I usually break it down into more than that. But first of all, the first seven verses, we see that the beggar receives his sight. And what a miracle this is. And then we we see in verse 8, down to verse 34... That the blind uh, that the blind beggar uh, uh, repeats his story. He tells his story. By the way, if you have the story, you want to tell it. Amen. Praise the Lord. And then the blind beggar in verse thirty-five to forty-one recognizes the Savior. Now, in chapter eight, Jesus proclaimed that he was the light of the world. He is the light of the world. And here in chapter 9, he proves that he is a lie of the world. Uh, in the previous chapters, John reveals how that the Jews res- resisted the light and preferred to remain in darkness. Is that not a lot like it is today? People wonder, they would prefer to walk in darkness and live in darkness rather than come to the light. But here he sets forth an amazing account of a man who earnestly desired light and who step by step left the darkness behind. Now let me stop right here and make sure you understand what I'm saying. When I say step by step, he left the darkness behind. This man could do nothing to save himself. But he had to do, follow the steps that Christ gave him. And we know what that was. Uh, first, he allowed the, the, the Lord to anoint his eyes, and then he went and dipped in the pool. And so, by that, he was obedient to what God said. And all afflictions and ailments, by the way, are results of the fall of man. Now, this, and we're going to see this in just a moment, but, uh, uh, but really, all of our problems, these knees that are crying too much, too much, uh, get something done <laughs> is a result of sin. Uh, all of our ailments are a result of sin—the sin of our parent, our foreparents, Adam and Eve. Now, the results of the fall is sin and death and decay, and and it's an imperfect world. It's produced an imperfect world. The universal effects of the fall could uh, should. Should uh, keep the truth of the Word of God before us. We need to, to keep God's truth before us because of that fall. Notice what the Psalmist said in Psalm one hundred and three, verse and verse fourteen. He said, "For he knoweth our frame; he remembereth that we are dust." And that's the best. You know, I was told years ago that that if you if you could get us reduce us down to all the minerals. And elements that we have in our bodies, our bodies made up of, that was about three dollars ninety five cents. It's what we would be worth. Now, of course, now that the Democrats are in office, of inflation is is greater, so it's probably you know maybe it's four ninety five. I don't know, but but we're just dust, and you know, that's all we are. Uh, but uh, but you know that annually billions. Of dollars are spent on health care, and still sickness is inevitable. Millions of lives have been destroyed by the outbreaks of diseases, and whether they be by epidemics or pandemics or plandemics or scandemics or whatever it is, uh, millions of people have been affected by that. In the fourth century alone, the bubonic plague. Killed almost a half of the population of Europe. In the Civil War, and by the way, we Southerners are going to have to tone it down a little bit because we have too many Yankees around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, in the, uh, really, in the uncivil war, twice as many soldiers died of disease as were killed in combat. The influenza epidemic in 1918 19 to 1919 claimed 30 to 50 million lives, far exceeding the number killed in World War I. In our own lifetime, with many of the diseases no longer a threat, Still, AIDS, the AIDS virus, continues to take thousands of lives, as well as injuries and cancer and and heart problems. And my doctors tell me that I have a heart problem. And I said, Well, I could have told you that. Uh, uh, Jeremiah told me that. It's exceedingly uh, it's, it's, uh, it's 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 bad. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, but he said anyway, you have the heart problems. But then in our lifetime, the Pandemic of abortion and Planned Parenthood has destroyed the lives of over 60 million babies since Roe versus Wade in 1973. Then most recently by the efforts of the rogue nation of China and other equally ruthless individuals, more than 6 million people have died of the China virus. Despite all of our sophisticated scientific advances of modern medicine and the professionals that we have, we're limited in the amount of healing and only, and only can delay the inevitable, which is death. April the 27th at 8.32 in the morning, 1948, The world was blessed, and the state of Tennessee was blessed to have a child born in St. Mary's Hospital, and they named him David Lee Cooper. From that time on, there's been something over my shoulder that I've been running from. And a few times, he's almost caught up with me. And by the way, whatever your birthday is, he started following you as well. So despite all of the advancements, we can still just prolong things. We can never alleviate dying. Of all the handicaps that, are, that can affect mankind, blindness is one of the saddest. Did you know that in the United States, a person goes blind every 20 minutes? Yet there's something infinitely worse than physical blindness. And that's spiritual blindness. And spiritual blindness and deadness being so disastrous that God... And spiritual deadness being so disastrous that God considered it and made it... Realized it necessary, considered it necessary to send his son... To the earth, to for the express purpose of opening the eyes of the blind and lightening the darkness of man's heart. You remember when Zacharias uh, was uh, having his tongue loosed at the naming of his son, and John being filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied that Jesus would come as the day as a day spring from on high. He said to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to God and to God our way into peace. Luke chapter 1 verse 79. True to that prophecy our Lord Jesus came not only to open the eyes of a few physically blind men and women but also primarily to turn the darkness of humanity's natural light into the dawn of day, spiritually speaking. Jesus' healing ministry has several characteristics. And for time's sake, I'll not go through all of these verses, but first of all, the first characteristic is that he he would heal either by word or by touch. We can read in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter Chapter five and verse twenty-four, Mark five and verse twenty-four. The word of God says, "And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him, and a certain man which had an, a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many, of many physicians." Well, that sounds like right up to date, doesn't it? suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, she came, uh, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. and touch, Just touched his garment. She said, notice She goes on, for, he, for she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway, The fountain of blood was dried up and she left and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague immediately right then. So it was a word or by touch, but then uh, secondly, instantly, instantly, and we could see in several verses Matthew chapter 8 and verse 3. We won't go there, but Matthew 8 and verse 3, verse 13, verse, uh, and, chapter, and verse 15. Matthew chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. The people were healed instantly. And by the way, thirdly, they were healed completely. For example, after he healed Peter's mother-in-law... She immediately got up and waited on them. Luke chapter 4 and verse 39. And when Jesus healed the man who had had an infirmity for 38, 38 years, we, we saw earlier, he also got up and immediately picked up his bed and went out in the sight of everybody. They were completely healed. An immediate result of Jesus' healing, the blind man saw. Now, this is in our, our passage here. The blind man saw the blind saw and the lame walked and the lepers were cleansed and the deaf were able to hear, all having been completely restored to their physical wholeness. But then everyone who came to him was healed. You know, if Jesus were in our presence now, physically in our presence walking, he could do this. Now, and he could do that Now, but it's not for his glory to do that. I remember years ago, uh, the, one of these false prophets by the name of Oral Roberts saw an 800-foot Jesus. Anybody remember that? And he was going to be able to heal, heal all these people. And I've always wondered, Oral, why didn't you just go down to the hospital and start healing? No, but everyone that came to Jesus was healed. By the way, today, everybody that comes to Jesus is healed. Spiritually speaking, if you may leave this world with a physical ailment, but you'll be instantly healed because you knew Jesus. Amen. Well, but then let me say that physical diseases and infirmities were healed. Not invisible ailments such as lower back pain and heart palpitations and headaches. Physical diseases. You see all these uh, charismatics and these faith healers, they want to heal headaches and back pains and things like that. But Jesus healed physical diseases in the front. Now, by the way, this is not discounting your headaches and your lower back pains and all these other things. But then Jesus raised the dead as well. Now, the remarkable manner in which Jesus, the lie of the world, meets this beggar, this blind from birth and giving him sight, is illustrated here in, the, in John chapter 9 that we read. Now, this account is a practical demonstration of the truth that's taught in chapter 8 where Jesus proclaimed that he was the light of those who sat in darkness. And here in chapter 9, he proves that he's the light of those that sits in darkness. In the previous chapters, in previous chapters John reveals how that the Jews, as I said, resisted the light and preferred to stay in darkness. But here in this marvelous account of the man who really wanted light we have a great picture. Now, John chapter 9 gives us the history of one event. One, all of chapter 9 is really wrapped around this one thing. And it's from opening to closing with reverence to this. It, it references the same object of this man that was born blind But it's divided into several sections, and we're not going to be able to get through all of these tonight. Um, uh, And each one of these, each one of these different representations is a representation of certain classes of people or certain classes of men in relation to Christ. First, in these verses that we read, uh, beginning at 1 to 7, we find that it deals with those who are who are conscious of their need? A lot of folks are really not conscious of their need. You buy, I believe you can't get anybody saved unless you get them lost first. But then, in verse eight, then verse thirteen, there are those who are speculatively interested in the work of Christ. Some people just say, "Oh, that's charming." You know, that's uh, well, we'll see if that works or whatever. But then, in verse nine to verse eighteen, there are those who are bitterly prejudiced against Christ's work. And then nine to nineteen to twenty-three, there are those who are who practically ignore Christ's work. And then the, the finishing verses, there twenty-four to all the way to verse thirty-eight to four, or really forty-one, there are those who were consciously restored by the work of Christ. So I want to go back now, just when you thought we were about finished, I want to go back now to uh, start back at verse 1, and we're going to look at that first group of people, those who are conscious of their need. And uh, you know people who live in the world who have never named the name of Christ and they seem not to be conscious of their need there are some that we know of family members or or acquaintances or whatever neighbors who are conscious of their need but they really don't care they're not some are not conscious but some are now these seven verses verse 1 to 7 represent those who consciously Need the work of Christ. Now, you can't tell me that this man who was blind from his birth did not know he could not see. Because everybody around him would tell him different things. And he can you could you imagine explaining a green shirt to somebody that was blind? Judy told me this was blue. No, but can you imagine how how difficult it would be to to live life totally blind? Our our dear Rowena was had begun to lose her eyesight. And we know others who who have lost their eyesight, and you I'm sure you're acquainted with some. So we have those who are conscious of their need, and these seven verses represent those. Now looking at this man as as representing those aware and conscious of their need. There are two things that are noteworthy. I want to look back in verse one and see. First, we'll see first the wretchedness of their condition, and the wretchedness of this man's condition. First of all, in verse one, it says, "And as Jesus passed by." Oh, I'm so glad that Jesus passed by in my life. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. First of all, this man, he was in the wretched condition of being blind. There are millions upon millions of people who are in the condition of spiritual blindness today that can be healed instantly if they would trust Christ as their Savior. This man was afflicted with that blindness. Notice, a man blind from his birth. He had never enjoyed the blessings of vision. He had never been able to walk out on the porch in the, in the morning and watch the, the morning sun glisten off the dew and the grass. He had never been able to watch the sunset. He had never been able to see the purple mountain's majesty. He had never been able to see anything that you and I take for granted every day. His eyes had never been opened. He couldn't look up in the, in the night sky and see, see all the miraculous things in the sky. I'm hoping before I, God takes me to glory that I'll get to see the northern lights, the aurora borealis. Never seen that and hope that I can do that. If I don't get to see it before, I'll get to see it on my way passing through, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, so those doors through which our soul lets in the beauty of God's creation had been barred from him at his birth. He had never been able to see. Unknown to him were the glories of heaven, as we said, and and the majesty of the man, and the sublimity of the sea. To watch the to see, you know, I'm not supposed to be out in the sun a great deal because of melanoma cancer, but but there is something that 's calming to watch the sea, something about it to watch the sea, unless you 're in the middle of the winter time up around the great lakes. It probably wouldn't be so calming, would it <laughs> so um, but uh, to watch the, the golden meadows of grain to watch the green fields as the wind softly goes across, and to watch it watch the watch the, watch, the, watch the, It changed colors. This man was never able to see that. The world to this man was a great, dark, monotonous cave. To him, never came day or the sweet approach of the even even or morn. Never able to watch the bloom of flowers. This man was blind. We know many who are blind spiritually. But notice, if you would, in this, in verse 9, not verse 9, we find that this is the one that begged. He was a beggar. He sat and he begged. Not only was he in the wretched condition of blindness, it was a wretched condition of being a beggar. Is not this the one they said that sat and begged? Perhaps from his earliest childhood, day by day, he sat there near the temple in darkness and begging just for the mere necessities of life. Sometimes, and I could just imagine, maybe from a child, maybe his parents would take him there. I don't know. But notice he was right at the he was right at the going in where the people would come in and out. Jesus was probably it was on the way to the temple here, but Jesus saw him, and he realized he was blind. But he was spiritually blind, but he was a beggar. He lived on the cold, uncertain charity of those that visited the temple. Uh, every day, with the gripping hunger and the shivering cold and, and then the scorching hot rays of the summer of the eastern sun, he sat there an unbroken night of blindness sat there hoping maybe to hear something fall into the cup. Hoping that some relief would come from the passersby. Oh how great the affliction of this man. He was blind but he was a beggar. Folks that's a picture of those who are without Christ. Do you know the richest man In the world, whomever that may be is a pauper without Christ. The world abounds with those of affliction to some greater or less extent. The blind and the deaf and the destitute and the diseased, we meet on the walks of life every day. We see them. The question has often been asked, why, under the government of God, should such cases as this one be in the text? Well, we would read it's for God's glory, for the works of God. The question is, why would we do? Why would this show up? Well, because of the works of God. Why? Why should the great One send men into the world sometimes without any? without the issue of limbs or, and, and, and be cripples and sometimes without the use of their ears and be deaf and sometimes without the use of their eyes as this man was and be blind. And it didn't seem to be any reason. Now, there's some that reasoned about this as we're going to see in just a bit. But this man was, first of all, he was born blind. That's the tragedy. The, the, w- the wretchedness of his condition was that he was born blind and then he was a beggar. But then there's a third thing here, if you'll notice. We just see in verse two, this man was blighted with social heartlessness. Social heartlessness. And his disciples ask him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now the question of the disciples indicated that a heartless disregard for this man's wretched condition. Wouldn't you think that they have going through some of the things that they had been with the Lord? Say, Lord, why don't you? Would you heal him? No, they wanted to find out why he was blind. We could appreciate these implications of this text without we couldn't appreciate it without first understanding some of the. Background of what some of these people thought. Among the people of Palestine were those who believed in the doctrine of reincarnation. And today the same kind of people exist and they teach that man must know some 600, uh, uh, some 600 emanations. That is that he must live 600 times and advance every one to reach perfection. And so the idea is well whos- who is it that caused this man to be here that he can't get to that next level one of the one of the new buzz words or buzz sayings is let's take it to the next level i just i hate that i hate that I hate that saying uh it seems like the maybe the emergent church is the one that started using that I just don't like that saying so don't use that saying. Okay. Uh, now, and th- so they would go on to say, if a man progresses well in one life on Earth, the next time he's born, he he begins on a higher level of opportunity. Uh, on the other hand, if he if a man fails in his li- in this life, the, the next time he returns to Earth, uh, the, the 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 present failure is punished in that he will be handicapped in some measure or some way. When the disciples suggested that this man might have sinned before he was born, they were re-echoing or echoing the teaching of some of these crazy people. They wondered if this man had been, been, was being punished by God for something done in a former life or his former sojourn upon the earth. The only alternative to this conclusion seemed to be that the beggar's parents had sinned secretly, maybe in some premarital relationships or something. That was what they... If he hadn't done this, hadn't done anything wrong, and and, and all of this thinking, well, maybe it was his parents. Somebody probably remembered Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to any graven image, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Now, this was considered possible that the beggar's affliction was caused by the sin maybe of his grandparents. And I'm going to give you, I'll give you these verses and, and uh, let you look at them later. Uh, for time's sake, Numbers 14, verse 18, Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 9, 2 Chronicles 25, 4. Now, these verses have got to be understood in a, in a societal or national or generational setting. Also, we would look at Jeremiah, and I'll look at that very quickly. Jeremiah chapter 31. And verse 29, he said, In those days shall, uh, uh, Jeremiah 31 and 29, In those days they shall say no more, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, And the children's teeth are set on edge. But every one shall, shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eateth the sour grape, His teeth shall be set on edge. Every man shall die for his own iniquity. Now, the idea that a child will be punished for the sins of his own parents is not supported by the scripture. The consequences of sins of the previous generations will be suffered by subsequent generations. Let me just uh, those consequences of sins of that previous generation are going to be will be suffered. The Hebrew children of the Exodus suffered for 40 years in the wilderness, wandering because of the sins of the previous generation. That's the culture. That's the generation. That's not an individual. Centuries later, when the northern and southern kingdoms were carried off into captivity, generations of children suffered for the sins of the elders. Let me just give you an example Planned Parenthood and abortion, ex- experimental and experimental vaccines, I believe. Are going to come back to, to bite us. What well, they already have. Do you realize at just under 60 million babies since Roe versus Wade that have been aborted that we have aborted, we have murdered a generation of people. And now we're wondering. We don't have anybody to go to war for us. We don't have anybody to take jobs. We don't have anybody to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. We've murdered a generation. So the question in verse 2 involved a great error, and that is the present sufferings are the results of the measure of individual sins. Now, by the way, uh, a person, a man could be, drunk with alcohol and driving down the highway and his family in the car and he wrecked the car and all of them be killed. That is a result of his drunkenness and his sin for sure. That's not what this is about at all. Uh, but the the this suffering that, that suffering always implies sin is is to is, an un, is to peradventure an, un, an unquestionable fact that you can't say that. and that the sin of the parents often entails sufferings on their children is, is, is preposterous. Now but we do know, as I said, that, that families suffer and, and a child may suffer because a parent does something wrong but because a a parent did something wrong years ago does not cause that child to be born blind or crippled. That uh, individual suffering is always a result of individual sin, uh, is an egregious and pernicious error. And, however, people can suffer because of their sins. We know that. This was indeed a common notion of the Jews as we, as we read, read here. But the whole book of Job seems to have been written in order to correct this error here. Christ himself exposed, exposed this error. Now let's go back and let's go to the book of Luke, chapter 13, 13. Luke 13. And 1 to 4, notice the word of God says, There were present at the season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with the sac- their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish." Or those eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell, and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? Notice those questions. Now, there are those uh, he. How could how could he sin before he was born? How could this man sin before he was born? Now, did they believe in the? Pythagorean Doctrine, the Pythagorean Doctrine of uh, Matempsychosis, which means you didn't think that a Tennessee boy could say those big words like that, did you? That simply means the transmigration of souls from one body to another. And that they spoke of a man sinning before he was even born. If so, then their question was consistent with their faith, was it not? But it's not likely that, that, that his disciples, I don't believe his disciples believe that, but they, I believe they're just echoing what they maybe. heard. Maybe is that really real, you know? No. Okay, so we saw the wretchedness the wretchedness of this man's condition. Now very quickly, and therefore, and don't hang too much on the word quickly. Uh, In the next verses, the nature of their deliverance. This man then consciously required the help that only Christ could render to him. He was blind, he was indigent, and he was despised by the group around. Spiritually, all men in their unregenerate state are in, are in an urgent need of the aid of Christ as this man was. But few realize their need. So let's notice first, if you would, in verse 3, that the deliverance is predetermined, is the predetermined work of God. Now you be real careful right here. Don't you say I said something I didn't say. Deliverance is the predetermined work of God. I believe that from the foundation of the world, God determined that all would come to him through Christ Jesus would be saved. I believe this Bible teaches that. Well, let's go on. Christ did not mean that either this man or his parents were free from sin, but that their sin was not the cause of this man's blindness. This, this, his blindness was a divine result of a divine, a design, of a divine purpose. If you'll notice in here, notice in verse 3, Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest. And his blindness, as I said, was a divine result of a design, divine purpose. And it revealed God's restorative work is, more, is in more striking aspects than, than the creating and the preserving. That you think that, I mean, God created him. But now after he created him, now we can give him life, spot, life, a sight. Now, you've got to say it's a marvelous thing for God to to scoop out the valleys and push up the mountains and fling the stars and all the heavens and sky. Oh, but I submit to you that even a greater miracle is when a man is born again to be saved. So, he said that the works of God should be made manifest. Manifest. I remind you that Christ is on the way to the cross. And all of these these miracles have been to prove that he is the son of God. He is God himself. So we see the deliverance is is predetermined on the work of God. The deliverance, secondly, was effected by Christ in verse 4. He said, I must... Work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. I want you to notice very quickly, again, there's that word. He, he did his work systematically. He worked by divine program. He did, he did the right work in the right place on the right person at the right time. And he did the work diligently. He said, while it is day. Now he knew his work was great and and the period of of divinely allotted time for this accomplishment was very limited. The works of Christ suggest to us three great truths. First of all, that there is a divine purpose in every man's life. Did you know God has a divine purpose for you? It's wonderful to know. Secondly, there is a divine work for every man to do. And thirdly, there's a divine limit to every man's life. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while his day. For the night cometh when no man can work. So he he did it systematically he did it diligently he did it appropriately as long he says as long as i'm in the world i'm the light of the world Amen. and he assumes a character of corresponding with the need of the sufferer now by that we mean you remember he told the thirsty woman at the well in jacob's well he said i'm the living water he was thirsty and he became the living water. Here the man, uh, in the morning of the, uh, the morning sisters of, at the grave of Lazarus, he was the resurrection of the life. And here this poor man, to this poor man, uh, the blind man, he was a light of the world, you see. It's amazing how the, your Bible fits together. And he is the central light in all the spheres, of all the sphere of beings. The material heavens borrows the brightness from Him. We talk about how bright the sun is. I remember years ago when at school, would, would take, uh, the kids at school would, would put a pinhole in a in a box and put a box over their head, let them look at the at the eclipse or whatever it was that was happening, and they could look at the box. He said, "Let's see it happen on the box. The light on the box, you see, inside the box." Is that right? Did y'all ever do that? Yes. We see in Tennessee, we had all the highest, the latest uh, technology of everything. You see, and uh, uh, some of them had the some of them had the gl- right glasses and all this. You had to you had to have the ha- oh they advertised that the, this thing was coming for months and months, and people started selling glasses. Well, we just went down and got an empty box at, at Cas Walker's store and punched a hole in it. Uh, Y'all don't know Cas Walker, but anyway, it doesn't doesn't matter. Uh, But just imagine that the the sun itself (laughs) borrowed its glory from Christ. Brighter than the sun is the glory of our Lord. And the beams of reason are... Are but the radiation of his intelligence? The rays of moral goodness come from him. They emanate from him, the son of righteousness. So he did the work appropriately. But notice he did the work unsolicited or unasked, unasked. He it does not appear that the blind man really besought him his besought his help. Jesus passed by and saw the man was blind. Oh, I'm so glad that he passed by that day saw that I was blind. He looked at him as he sat there in destitution and darkness the same way that he looked at the poor widow of Nain following her son to the to the grave In the same way as he looked to the to the fainting multitudes who he, whom he fed on the uh, by the miracle and through through the through through the Jews or or though that the Jews had just taken up stones to cast at him as he was leaving the temple yet as he passed by he observed this poor blind sufferer the violence that raged around him didn't disturb the calm of the flow of his compassion. You see, he was going to face far more violence than he would have faced there by a stone flying by. Ill treatment from our fellow man tends to make us miserable in, in avoiding such situations. Not so with our Lord his love and His grace are so infinite that it extends to all. I'm so glad that we have a message that we can take to any man, woman, boy, or girl and say, Jesus saves. Amen. But there's not, a, there's not a select group that He can't save or won't save that He's chosen not to save. There's not a group that He has chosen He will save and it's only those who are going to know no, we can take the message and say, you can be saved. I'm so glad that I heard that message. And this is the man's case. He was he found one who required who, who didn't inquire after him. You know the day I went to church that Sunday morning, I wasn't going there to get saved. I was going there because my lawyer told me to go there. That's not what you think. I hadn't been caught up with that, but I mean, you know that. But in the, we were had an adoption in the works, and oh, it would be good. The Catholic attorney said, "If you could, we could tell the judge you go to church." Well, little did I know. Little did I know that Jesus passed by. Amen. In this man's case, he found an inquirer, but then he did it. Instrumentally. Notice when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of spittle and he anointed the eyes of the blind man and with the clay and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. This means, the, the means were very simple. They were not chemical compounds were applied or uh, uh, he didn't have to call for an appointment. He didn't have to check to see if his insurance covered this part of the thing. No surgical operations uh, were to be performed; just clay. Now, why uh, why such means were employed, we, we don't know. Well, we do know that the works of God could be man made manifest. That's why it's it's in the. prerogative of Christ to produce grand results by feeble, feeble instruments. He does it with us, does he not? The man went after, went and after he, the, after he applied the clay to the pool of Siloam, just as he was directed, the word of God says he went his way therefore and washed and came seen. Oh, can you imagine? A whole new world. I can just imagine when he came up out of the water of the pool of Siloam. Whole new world opened up around this man and new and strange emotions began to rush into his soul, I'm sure. All of this is a sim- symbol that the works of God can be made manifest in the heart, the life of fallen mankind if they will accept him. Amen. Darkness turned to light. And I'm going to have to stop. I've got all the rest of the notes. If you want to sit here all night, we'll go through the rest of this. But, but um, don't, don't put that book down, Butch. I'm not going to go on. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought Butch was going to throw a songbook at me because i want going to go on. <laughs> Amen. I actually have stop written right here on my notes. <laughs> it's always good to have encouragement amen? amen 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 all right but lord we thank you for the-